You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On this off-season episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball, we're going to talk about recent signings. Now, we're recording this earlier into the off-season, so some big names still haven't signed yet, such as Shohei Otani, of course, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Shota Imanaga, Jung-Hoo Lee, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger, and the list goes on. However, we will be talking about all of the players who have a new home, whether that be from a free agency signing or from a trade. We'll also share our opinions on how we think it'll impact their fantasy value for the upcoming season so a lot to talk about but before we get into that john how's everything been recently pretty good just uh enjoying some basketball season while the twins do absolutely nothing over winter meetings so uh not a lot going around in my personal baseball world but um at least exciting to see some things happening uh as a result of the winter meetings and hopefully that kind of jump starts a bunch of other uh signings and and deals that we could talk about Yeah, there's been some pretty exciting names just recently as of when we're recording this, so it makes this a little bit better. It allows us to do this, actually, because before we didn't have any really big names to chomp onto and talk about, but now we do, so some exciting stuff. The Mets haven't done too much, and I don't really follow any other sports too heavily, so it's been a very quiet offseason for me, just been working on a lot of real-life stuff, but I'm excited to talk about all of these things and get back into the fantasy mind frame for next season. But before we get into the conversation, just a reminder that you can follow our podcast on Twitter or X at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcast on. We're on all of them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher. So please make sure you follow us. And if you can, leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. But let's get things started with arguably the biggest trade that went down this offseason so far. Juan Soto and Trent Grisham were traded to the Yankees. For Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brito, Randy Vasquez, and Kyle Higashioka to the Padres. Just an absolute blockbuster trade. This is the second blockbuster trade in Juan Soto's young career. And it's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, he's going to be a free agent soon. It's just a big mess with Juan Soto. And hey, maybe he's a Met next year. I'm hoping so. Fingers are crossed. But for the time being... He is in pinstripes. John, what do you have to say about Soto being a Yankee and what's your outlook on him for next season? I mean, he's one of the best hitters in the game. Like, can't can't argue with that, but one of the best players in terms of getting on base. And now he gets to join a Yankees team where, uh, yeah, he's going to have Aaron Judge basically now batting him in uh, pretty much every time he's on the bases. Uh, it's I mean, it's a, it's a good move. I mean, the... The one interesting thing, I think, is how does this affect his power projection for next season? Uh, Just being a lefty and being able to hit at Yankee Stadium. Obviously, there's some benefits there with a short porch. Um, The only thing about Soto, though, is, I mean, he's still very much like an all-fields guy, right? Like, I don't think he's going to try to vary his swing just to pull the ball more so they can get more homers. I don't think that's the way that he's going to necessarily operate. And I don't think the Yankees are going to tell him that either. I think they're going to 
you know, have him do his thing, you know, get on base, uh, get hits. And if he's able to go for, you know, 30, 40 homers because he's at Yankee Stadium, big more power to him. Uh, I didn't realize, though, that he had 35 homers last season with San Diego. So maybe there's a good chance that, that number might go up. If if the Yankees are like, hey, like let's let's pull the ball more because we know that you can get it um, over the over the fence in, in uh, left field. So, it, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting move. I think it, it it's kind of a rental if you really think about it, right? He's only uh, he becomes a free agent next season. Um, I don't I didn't look at his arbitration numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know he's going to be making somewhere in the range of. 25 to 30 million this this seat this upcoming season and that's probably why the Padres wanted to get out of that that contract didn't want to pay him that money and then weren't intending on signing to a long-term deal so might as well get some get some pitching help from the Yankees while they can do it yeah Juan Soto really gets into a favorable position at Yankee Stadium the Padres home stadium was ranked 26th for left-handed pitching for power and Yankee Stadium was ranked second so Pretty big change there, and last season, like you said, he hit 35 home runs while on the Padres, but he played very, very poorly at home in San Diego, and he played really well on the road. He also went through like a month slump in the season where he really didn't do much, so the fact that he was able to still have a 275 average in a down year, which is crazy to say, and hit his career-high home runs in 35 with 109 RBI, it just shows a really good potential on the Yankees. I don't know whether he's going to hit second or third in that lineup. I would assume that he would bat third, but maybe it makes more sense to put him second. I don't really know. I mean, I like the fact that Judge won't just be pitched around anymore. You can't really pitch around Judge to get to Soto. Mm -hmm. So that's going to bode well for Aaron Judge, where behind him is not... I don't know, Austin Wells, you know, like it's someone mm-hmm. you're not really scared to challenge. So it's really good that Judge and Soto can protect each other. So I think both of their numbers are going to benefit. And I just think this is a really good scenario for Juan Soto. I could see him having a 40 plus home run season. I could see him scoring 100 runs, getting 100 RBI. I could see him just having a field day in Yankee Stadium. And also, he gets to go to road parks like Boston more frequently, which also has a really short, I mean, down the foul line of right field. But still, Mm -hmm. nonetheless, it's going to be a favorable park in Toronto. It didn't really play that well for lefties this season, but I think it might play well next season. I mean, the wall was shortened for left-handed power hitters, so that could benefit him. Like, everything in the AL East kind of plays favor to Soto. So I think he could have a monster year, which only sets him up for more success in free agency, which I don't know where he'll go. It's going to be insane to follow that because he's going to go for a lot, especially if he has a career year with the Yankees. And I could see the Yankees re-signing him as well. And it would make a lot of sense. The Yankees have been looking for left-handed power for a long, long time. They signed Rizzo like post his prime and they've been missing out on left-handed power since like Mark Teixeira. So it's been interesting to follow the Yankees kind of spectrum of how they're approaching their lineup. And now they buffed it up a bit with Juan Soto and Trent Grisham, who's not really just a throw-in. Obviously, it was more of a salary dump, but Trent Grisham's a good player too. For fantasy, I don't know. I mean, he batted 198 last season. Doesn't really give you much. Maybe a 15 homer, 15 steal guy. Maybe they lead him off. Maybe they 
use him as a pinch runner or just a defensive replacement. I don't know really what the plan is for him because another player they traded for in just a minute we'll talk about. But on the other side of this deal, obviously Juan Soto is a huge part. But the other side of the deal, a lot of pitchers were acquired by the Padres for Soto. And they really needed the pitching depth. They obviously are losing Blake Snell, who won the Cy Young. They're also losing Seth Lugo. They just kind of have a decimated rotation. They mainly just have Hugh Darvish and Joe Musgrove. So they really needed some depth. And Michael King looked like a huge promising starter for the Yankees at the back end of last season. He had 10 starts and I believe he had a 188 ERA and a 110 whip. I mean, that's just remarkable for the 10 starts that he had at the end of the season. Now, He did have a big injury the year before, and he was a reliever for the most part, so I don't know how many innings he'll get, but I'm really excited about Michael King on the Padres. I kind of get a Seth Lugo vibe here, not in terms of stuff, because I think King's stuff is way better, but I just think that the reliever to starter project and then having a long leash with the Padres like Lugo did can really be beneficial for Michael King. I think he could follow the same blueprint and have a really successful season for the Padres. So what do you think? about Michael King on the Padres. Are you excited for him for fantasy? Do you think he'll benefit from this change? Well, he's certainly not going to get pushed to the bullpen. So right. uh, it's not going to be a situation where the Padres are deciding, oh, is he better you know, in, in relief or is he better to start? He's, he's going to be a starter for them. Um, I don't I don't think there's a way that they sign three pitchers that are better than Michael King to, to move him off their rotation. So I think because of that, it, it works out for him uh, well in this situation. It also is kind of nice that that the the home field now is a little bit better, I guess. Yeah. Kind of, you know, like it's it's at least going to be not as bad as Yankee Stadium for him, which right. is which is good. Um, but they actually, it's interesting. Par Factors actually has as a whole Yankee Stadium at ninety six, and then Petco at number ninety five. So maybe it's not really that much of an advantage moving okay. to the Padres. But, I mean, you, you generally think of the Padres as, like, a very, you know, pitcher-friendly park, right? So yep. um, so having him move there is is not a bad thing. Um, he still has an elite defense behind him, right? So Hassan Kim at shortstop. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Xander Bogarts, who, you know, he's he's older now, but he's, he's not, like, terrible defensively. Um, you saw Manny Machado there as well. So it's not like he's going to get a downgrade. If anything, it's probably going to be a little bit of an upgrade from, from the defense that he had behind him at Yankee Stadium. So um, it kind of works out for him. I, I think the nice thing about this whole situation is that he just is going to have time to grow, right? Like they're not going to be impatient with him like the Yankees might be if it was like a situation where it's like we need to win now and Michael King just hasn't found his stuff in a in a month. And so we're going to you know, move him to the bullpen. I think with the Padres, like, yes, they're still kind of win now, but they're, uh, I think that they're, they're like, we just don't have the pitching to replace him. That's, that's kind of the truth there. Uh, and so they're, they're going to let him, let him fly. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think they're going to let him fly. I think he's going to be solidified in that rotation for sure. I think Drew Thorpe and Johnny Brito could get starts along the line for the Padres, depending on injuries and health and who they sign for the rest of the offseason. So I could see them even being immediate impacts to the rotation as well. Drew Thorpe, I don't know much about him. I know he had a decent season last year in the minors, and I know that he was a top prospect. 
but I heard that he projects more of an SP3 ceiling type of guy, so maybe he settles in at the back of the rotation. Johnny Brito had a few good starts and a little bit of a flash in the pan for the Yankees, so both of those guys might make spot starts or have a spot in the rotation. Definitely worth keeping an eye on, but Michael King, obviously the main focal point in that trade, and I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to have a lot of balloon status in fantasy drafts right away because he was already a buzz name. I mean, there was a lot of pitcherless articles that we wrote about Michael King and all of his success, talking about his sweeper, the changeup to lefties, his fastball, the sinker, just everything about Michael King was looking really, really good. Everyone was really excited about him. He pretty much carried people to fantasy championships and maybe won people fantasy championships with some of his amazing performances. He had 13 strikeouts against the Blue Jays, I believe. So he had some incredible starts down the line and was already building his fantasy stock for next season. So I could see him kind of going up those draft boards for 2024. Now, before we move on to the next one, though, quick little question with Juan Soto. John, would Mm -hmm. you rather draft Juan Soto now or Aaron Judge? If it's up to you, both players are there. They're the two best options. It's you on the clock with, let's say, 25 seconds left. Who are you picking? Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I I was kind of predicting one, so I was going to bat second and Aaron third. Okay, that's my that's my understanding. But also, like, it, there's a good chance they don't change things up, right? Aaron, Aaron Judge has been very good in the number two hole. Yeah. He's a very good average hitter as well, so there's there's definitely no issue there. I think at the end of the day, though, I think I still go with Judge, but it, it's a tough one because I'm also thinking like you know he he he's dealt with injury. Um, Soto for the most part has been healthy. Uh, he's he's younger as well, um, and the, of course against Soto, it's like he he just goes through these random slumps, right? Like it's almost like a consistent narrative at this point where he's like not great in the first half of the season. Then it kind of comes alive in the second half of the season. So uh, I think at the end of the day though, I think I go with judge still because the power average combo that you get from him is in- incredible. Um, and it's kind of on par with Soto. I think the only difference I would make is if this is an OBP league, uh, then I, then I go Soto. Yeah, this one's tough. I still think I lean Aaron judge And pretty much for the same reason, I think in points leagues, I think in OBP leagues, you can really put an argument in for Juan Soto. Obviously, the Aaron Judge injury thing is kind of scary, but I try not to let that kind of bother me in the draft because you're drafting for upside in the first. You're obviously also drafting for floor because the first round doesn't win you fantasy championships. It can lose Mm -hmm. you fantasy championships if they get hurt or they play bad, of course, but I think you can't go wrong with either. I think if you want to be more safe, you can go with Juan Soto. But Judge had a freak injury last year. It wasn't like he had a soft tissue injury or anything. He ran into a concrete wall in Dodger Stadium with his toe. I mean, that just doesn't happen every year. So if he was healthy the whole season, he was on pace to do better than his previous season where he broke the AL home run record. So, like, I don't know. I tend to gravitate towards the guy that has the upside of 55, 60, 70 home runs rather than right. the guy who has 35 to 45. So, yeah, I think I go judge, but both of these guys I think you can't go wrong with. I'm expecting a great season from both of them. I think they're both going to go in the upper half of the first round now. So we'll see, but I had to ask that question because obviously they're teammates now and you got to pit them against each other, right? So talking about the Yankees still... They made another trade, and it was for another left-handed hitter. So 
In just two trades, they acquired three left-handed hitters in Juan Soto, Trent Grisham, and Alex Verdugo from the Red Sox, who they traded Richard Fitz, Greg Weissert, and Nicholas Judas for. Rare swap between the Yankees and the Red Sox. I did not expect Verdugo to land on the Yankees. I mean, I didn't even expect Verdugo to be traded, to be honest. When I saw that trade pop up on my phone, I was like, huh, okay, I mean... Wasn't expecting that one. And the first thing that popped in my mind is, man, Verdugo's going to look weird without his beard. Just straight up. That's the first thing I thought about. I was like, man, he's really going to go to the Yankees? He's going to look like he's four years old. So (laughs) that was my first kind of opinion. But then I thought about it some more, and I think it's a pretty good fit. I mean, he kind of reminds me a little bit of older Brett Gardner. Not the prime Brett Gardner, but like older Brett Gardner, where maybe he bats a leadoff and just sets the table, or he bats in the middle of the lineup and kind of resets the order after the big guys get on base. Like, I don't know. I think Alex Verdugo is a pretty good fit for the Yankees. What do you think about this? I mean, he's a career, like, 280 hitter. He hits, like, 15 home runs per season. I think maybe he could be a 20 home run guy for the Yankees. Hopefully bat like 270, 275. He's just, to me, before you tell me about your opinion, Verdugo's the epitome of mid-baseball player, right? Like, when you think of the most mid-baseball player, Verdugo pops in my mind. Which is crazy because he was like the centerpiece of the Mookie Betts trade, which was not too long ago. And now he's being flipped for three pitching prospects, which is kind mm-hmm. of weird. But what do you think about Verdugo and being on the Yankees now? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because if you look at his spray chart, he got a lot of hits off the monster um, last year. Uh, and he's, he's again, like very much like an all-fields guy, you know? And even as a lefty, though, he, he's not like primarily a lefty pull hitter. You know, right. he, he does still pull most of his balls, right? His... Uh, it's still 42% compared to, you know, 34% to the center and then 20, 23% um, going oppo. I, it's just that those 23% that went oppo almost like always went for hits because he was just hitting straight into the monster. Um, if if somehow the Yankees, again, convince him to be a little bit more of a pull hitter, I could see those homers going up. Um, but part of the reality is like he 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 might get some hits taken away from him because because of how short right field is in Yankee Stadium, you know? Like it's they're not his power isn't actually getting things over to into the fence. It's like, you know, getting stuff to drop in the outfield and maybe line drives and things like that. And maybe that affects him just a little bit more. It, I mean, it, I'm, this is all conjecture, right? It's you can hit the ball wherever you want to hit it. If if he decides that it's better to to not focus on pulling and maybe even go even more full like all fields and um spread his hits around, maybe maybe that works in his favor and he's able to um, increase his average at the risk of power. I mean, he's never been a you know a big power hitter anyway, so I don't think going to Yankee Stadium is going to add that many homers to his total. Um, I think I think the weird thing here is is where is he going to be hitting right? Like um, in a, on roster research now, he's he's batting sixth, um, and so I'm curious if he's if he's going to have the same kind of RBI opportunities that he might have had elsewhere. He he only had 54 RBI last season, so he's not any he's not a massive source of power at all. Um, or so, massive source of RBI, so sh- I should say. Um, but I'm curious whether that number goes up as a result of like being on this stack team. Yeah, it's a real interesting case. I mean, Verdugo's most home runs hit in a season is 13, which he did twice. Mm-hmm. He hit 294 one season in a full season with the Dodgers. So he just seems like someone who can bat 280, get a 340 OBP, 
hit 15 homers, steal five bases, kind of just be a role player. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I don't even know if he's going to start, to be honest, for the Yankees. I think he would. But remember, they have Judge, who's going to be in the outfield. They have to have Stanton DHing, probably. Then mm-hmm. they have Soto, who's in the outfield. And then you have one more outfield spot. Obviously, Dominguez isn't there yet because he's injured. But when he returns, he'll have an outfield spot. And then you have Verdugo and Grisham. So who's going to get the playing time? Who's going to hit leadoff? Who's going to go where? So there's a lot of questions with this Yankee team, which before it was like, man, who's going to play the outfield? Now it's, oh, which of our five or six outfielders are going to play the outfield and who's not playing? So there's a lot of questions with this trade. And to be honest, I think it's a good fit. I think it will up his fantasy value a bit. And I'm not saying up his fantasy value where he's viable in 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues. He's probably only viable in 14, 15, and deeper size leagues because, let's be real, an outfielder with 13 homers, 280 average, 50 RBI, 60 RBI, it's not going to do anything for you. It might make a good fifth outfielder in a deep league, but... I don't know. It's just really not going to move the needle so much fantasy-wise. Like I said, Verdugo is just very mid, in my opinion. But I think the Yankees just bolster their bench. They bolster their outfield. It's a good real-life signing. So I think that's a good trade that the Yankees did. And we'll see if it works out. We'll see who's playing the outfield come opening day. Yeah, the thing with Verdugo is that the categories that he offers you are runs and... um, and average, right? That's kind of been his bread and butter in Boston the past yep. couple of years, is doing really well in runs and having a pretty decent average. Well, it's just, yeah, if you get slotted in kind of the the bottom half of that Yankee offense, the, the run production probably isn't going to be there. It's not, it's not going to be as, as good as it was previous years when he's batting in front of uh, Devers, I believe. Um, the average still might be there, which is good enough, but then at the, at the end of the day, you're like, you're drafting a one-category player, essentially. And, uh, yeah, that... that that's not even outfielder three territory to me. So uh, I personally think his fantasy value is going to take a little bit of a hit, but it, it it's kind of an example of like real life production good, but fantasy production not that great. Yeah, I agree. And the projected lineup, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm assuming it's going to be Anthony Volpe or DJ LeMahieu batting first, then like Juan Soto batting second, Judge batting third, Rizzo four, Stanton five, then like Verdugo. So I don't really know how that's going to bode for him. And especially when Dominguez comes back, he's going about higher in the lineup. Verdugo will be pushed down. Mm -hmm. It's a very big question mark, but we will see come opening day. But before we get into the rest of the signings, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back after this. This holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, flavorful meals to fuel you and keep you going on those jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling everything on your holiday to-do list. With Factor, you can cross meal prepping off that to-do list this holiday season. Skip the meal planning, grocery shopping, chopping, prepping, and cleaning up by getting Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals delivered straight to your door. So head to Factormeals.com slash TWFB50 and use code TWFB50 to get 50% off your next order. That's code TWFB50 at Factormeals.com slash TWFB50 to get 50% off your next order. Alright, we are back and it's time to get back into the signings. We're starting with the first 
re-sign that happened, and he rejoined his former team, Aaron Nola, re-signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. He signed a seven-year, $172 million contract with the Phillies and remains a Philadelphia Philly. I really expected this, to be honest. I thought it would be fun if Nola went to somewhere else, like the Giants or just another park and not Philadelphia, which is notoriously a hitter's park. But he's just back in Philly. And there's really not much to say, in my opinion, for fantasy value-wise. We kind of know what Nola does. He's good every other year. The years he's not good, he just puts up very frustrating numbers for fantasy. But the years he pitches well, he's an absolute ace that gets so many innings. He still got the innings last season. He wasn't terrible last season. He was disappointing in terms of where he was drafted and what he gave you. But he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, so... I'm expecting a better year from Nola next year, but that's not due to any underlying metrics. That's just due to feel like, hey, he has one good year, then one down year, then one good year, then one down year. So I'm just going to keep going with the trend on this one and say that Nola might have a good season next year. But anything to add about Aaron Nola re-signing with the Phillies, John? Absolutely zero. (laughs) It's just going to be a good year next year because that's how he works. He's going to finish as a top 15 pitcher and it's going to make no sense. And then he's, yeah, the, the season after, he's going to be maybe a top 50 guy again. It'll just, yeah, it'll, it'll just be going back and forth. Yeah, I think he's going to get drafted a little bit later in drafts now because, well, first of all, the first two rounds alone are like stacked with hitters with a Garrett Cole and Spencer Strider kind of flung in there somewhere. But I think the first two rounds are just so obvious hitter rounds because the talent is just so high nowadays. But Nola was someone that was going as like a later round SP1. I think he gets drafted a little bit later this season and then he has a great year and then he'll get drafted high again next season. It's just the same thing over and over again. We take him, we're disappointed. Then he goes lower, we take him, we're happy. Then we draft him high and we're disappointed. It just keeps happening. So I think the cycle continues. I think Nola's a great pitcher. He's got a lot of potential, of course. We've seen what he can do when he's at his best. And I just think that Another good year is in line for Nola. Next, we have Eduardo Rodriguez, who signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks on a four-year, $80 million contract. This one is a little bit different. Now, he was obviously with the Tigers, which were a terrible team, but he still managed to get a good amount of wins with the team, even though the Tigers weren't the best of teams. So, it is interesting to think that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to the team that was in the World Series for the National League. But I don't think he can get much better. I know that the situation is better. The home park is probably better. The team around him is better. He should win more games. But Eduardo Rodriguez went on a ridiculous run last season where he went through, I don't know, a month of pure domination, maybe two months of pure domination where he was like one of the best pitchers in fantasy. And then he got hurt. Then he came back. Then he wasn't great. He had a really up and down season, but... I can't see him doing much better than what he did last season. Any thoughts on Eduardo Rodriguez, John? I think this was a move that the Diamondbacks had to make. Yes, I agree. I agree completely. The whole thing was like, you know, they had Merrill Kelly and um, Zach Zach Gallen. Yep. Right. Just the top two pitchers. And then it was like, well, Brandon Fott's been okay in the playoffs, but he hasn't been very good in the, uh, in the regular season. So, um, yeah, I think this was a move that the Diamondbacks had to make. It was it was kind of a classic, like, you know, both 
both people want something, right? Eduardo, Eduardo wanted to be paid, and the Diamondbacks need a, a frontline pitcher, and they, they both got what they wanted, which is good. Um, I think the tough thing here is Erod is moving from one of the better pitcher parks, right, in Detroit yes. to one of like kind of it, Chase feels like a middle eight, right? It's not like super hitter friendly. They have a humidor there, so the elevation like doesn't really actually affect. Um, baseballs as much even in, and again it's not as high as elevation as Colorado so you're not getting as big of that that effect um he's Erod is not like a super fly ball pitcher which like kind of works in his favor a little bit here like even though it's a smaller park he doesn't give up that many fly balls so um so it doesn't hurt him as much going to a smaller smaller park either um I, th I think this is like one of those situations where it's like it works out really well for both sides do I think that he's going to retain his form from last season? 3.3 ERA, 1.15 whip. Like, those are really good numbers. Could he replicate that in, in Arizona? I think it's possible. Um, the, you know, the, the pitching coach, um, coaching situation in, in Arizona is great. Um, and I know he's got, like, a good relationship with um, Tori Lavulo, who's the, the manager there as well in the Diamondbacks. So it definitely feels like he's in a, he feels like he's in a good situation. And that could lead to like you know really solid pitching. I think the only problem is like the the thing that the the season that we saw out of him in Detroit was just the first time that he's done something that elite. And so I'd I'd love for I'd love to see him replicate it. I just don't know if I'm like ready to buy in yet. Which is very fair, and I agree with that. I don't see Eduardo Rodriguez becoming a huge ace, like a must draft pitcher for fantasy, and he's going to be this epic pitcher that you're going to want to get a piece of. I don't see that. I see Eduardo Rodriguez comfortably sitting as the SP3 in Arizona, Gallon, Kelly, Erod. And I think that's a solid three with Fott as well. And you have a lot of other guys too that can be very good. So I think their rotation is very solid now. I think it was, like you said, a move that needed to be done. And it's just a good real life fit. The park factor is a little different. They both kind of play similarly Tigers and Diamondback stadiums, of course, but obviously the Tigers ballpark is a little bit better. But in general, I just think that Erod can put up not the same numbers that he did last season, because like I said, he had a two month stretch where he was just one of the best pitchers in baseball. And mm -hmm. I don't really see that happening again. So I would say that the numbers are going to scale back a bit. I think the wins could remain the same. I don't know how he won that many for the Tigers, I believe it was yeah. 13, right? <laughs> yeah, he finished with 13 wins. Yeah, 13 wins. Like, I just don't know how he did that. And obviously, it was part of that two-month stretch where I think he won, like, eight in a row. Mm -hmm. So I think the wins will be more consistent in Arizona just because it's a better team around him. It's a youthful team. They're going to want to win. They were just in the World Series. They're hungry. So I like it a lot. As for fantasy, I wouldn't expect more from him. That's the only thing. Is yes. Don't get your expectations yes. up because of mm -hmm. this signing. So I think Erod, great signing for the Diamondbacks. I think they need to add another piece. But speaking of another piece, they did add Eugenio Suarez from the Mariners in a trade for Carlos Vargas and Sebi Zavala. So really not much to speak about there. Not going to talk about Carlos Vargas or Sebi Zavala, backup catcher. But Suarez to the Diamondbacks... 
a little bit of a better situation. The Mariners were a pretty good team last year as well. Obviously not as good as the Diamondbacks because they went to the World Series. But I think in terms of the regular season, the Mariners actually had a better record. But Mm -hmm. I think that the Diamondbacks situation for Eugenio Suarez is good because he will either DH or play third. I know Evan Longoria is still there, I believe. So... I don't know if he's going to get a chunk of the playing time at third, or maybe Suarez gets the playing time, or he just straight DHs. But I think he'll get regular appearances if he bats up in the lineup. I mean, we know Suarez is capable of 30-plus homers. We know that he could fill a role similar to Lourdes Gurriel Jr. on that team. So I like the trade for the Diamondbacks of Eugenio Suarez. But once again, just nothing that's going to make me want to draft Eugenio Suarez for next season. Can I have my hot take of the of the of the 2024 season? Absolutely. I can't wait to hear it. I think Eugenio is a top 10 third baseman this, this Ooh, upcoming season. Ooh, spicy. I, I really like him. Okay. And I think partially it's because he doesn't have to play in T-Mobile Park anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like like he he had a 30 homer season his first season in Seattle, which was like no one expected that, right? Like moving from Cincinnati to Seattle, somehow his homer total actually like stayed the same which is like honestly impressive enough um i think the the thing to me that is like it would be cool is that he's he's going to a better park for him right which is nice it's still only half your games but a better park for half your games is is a better park i i'm really hoping he's getting he's going to get back to his cincinnati ways where he's not as free swinging and i don't know if there's anything specifically with the diamondbacks hitting coaching or hitting coach where they're going to like you know maybe not make his his uh um, his uh, uh, approach as aggressive, like he his his strikeout rate did go down a little bit last season, but it wasn't like a huge amount. It was like 0.4 percent, so really nothing nothing to speak home about. But if there's some way that he can just bring his strikeout rate down just a little bit, I think him playing in in Arizona is going to be so much better for him, and I think it's going to result in um, a little uh, more homers, in my opinion, more homers, and then. I, I could see his average like go up just a little bit. I really like that take. I'm a fan of Eugenio Suarez. He played very well for me on my fantasy teams across the years. He's been good. So big fan of Suarez. I would love to see him as a top 10 third baseman next year for fantasy. You heard John's hot take here first. <laughs> draft Eugenio Suarez later in your drafts, and maybe you might just find a gem. I will back that hot take. Moving on, though, we have a few signings that we're not going to go too deep into. Just want to note of them. Aaron Bummer was traded to the Braves for Michael Soroka, which is very interesting to see Soroka on the White Sox. The White Sox are kind of building a little bit of a rotation, and the Braves actually made another trade, getting rid of a young starter. They traded Kyle Wright to the Royals for Jackson Kowar. So kind of shocking to see Soroka and Wright both moved. I guess they just didn't have a spot in the rotation for the Braves, but I thought they would. I mean, Morton's on his way out. Max Fried's there, obviously. You have Spencer Strider. I don't know. I just felt like those two guys were going to be Braves staple rotations, but they're not there anymore. And they got Jackson Kuar, who could definitely be a piece in that rotation. Aaron Bummer is obviously a good relief pitcher, great left-handed pitcher. So interesting moves there. Wasn't expecting Soroka or Wright or both of them to be moved from the Braves. So we'll see how that plays out. Scott Barlow was traded to the Guardians for Eniel De Los Santos of the Padres, so they made a little swap there of relievers. Doesn't really change anything for the Guardians. I believe that Emmanuel Classe will still be the closer. Barlow will be a great setup guy, and if anything happens to Classe, I could see Barlow taking over that role. 
Ramon Laureano signed to the Guardians on a one-year deal. Interesting signing there for some outfield depth. Might be a good play in five outfielder leagues, but nothing much there. Ramon Laureano isn't anyone to be excited about at this point in his career. But moving on to something to be excited about, it's Sonny Gray, who signed with the Cardinals on a three-year, $75 million deal. Now, Sonny Gray was a twin, John, so you got to watch him up close and personal for a lot of his starts this season. What do you think of Sonny Gray? What do you think about him being on the Cardinals? Is this a good signing for them? I mean, I think it's an okay signing for the Cardinals. I actually would have been okay if the Twins signed him to that deal as well. The big part about this one is that um, the Cardinals actually gave him a fourth-year option, which I think was kind of the big push for him to to go to the Cards. Um, he wanted that security. I mean, this is basically his his only free agent contract he's ever going to get as a major league player. So I, I totally see the reason for him going there. Um, really solid pitcher for the Twins. Um, really, really efficient pitcher. There was a lot of times that he would be, you know, finishing the sixth inning with somewhere around like 80 to 90 pitches. The main thing for him is, has always been health. Like he was extremely healthy last year. He only gave up eight home runs the entire season, which was incredible. Um, the metrics weren't like top notch, but after all, he did finish second in Cy Young voting. So, you know, the, clearly the stats were there. In my opinion, he wasn't the best pitcher on the Twins. That was Pablo Lopez, but I think that's just because Pablo has better stuff. Um, better strikeout potential, and um, yeah, just overall just a better pitcher in my opinion. But I think Sonny Gray to the cards is is nice. Um, it's a little bit of an upgrade, I think, in terms of park for him, uh, but not like that that big of an upgrade. Um, I think the one thing that might be a little worrying is just expecting some regression with those home run numbers, right? Like the it, giving up only eight home runs over the entire season is incredible. And I just wouldn't expect that to happen again. And so the, there's just going to be a reality where the, the stats are going to get a little worse for Sonny Gray. Is he still like a really solid, like SP four? Uh, I, I think he's in that range, maybe a, a SP four, SP five sort of numbers. Um, and that, that's kind of how I see it for, for Sonny Gray. I actually really like this signing for the Cardinals. They needed a guy to be their ace. They really haven't had like a bona fide ace since like Adam Wainwright was good. Mm -hmm. So it was something that was super necessary. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about some Cardinal signings. They definitely bolstered their staff. But Sonny Gray just seems like a Cardinal to me. I was kind of shocked that, first of all, he was 34 years old and that he has a career ERA of 3.47. So... This kind of seems like a steal. I know it was three years and he's 34, so he doesn't have a real long life left in baseball as a starter. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a really good tactical signing for the Cardinals because I think he's kind of undervalued. I think he is someone that will pay dividends for the Cardinals and could really hold that staff down because he had a great year last year. He's had a lot of good years. The only year he really struggled was on the Yankees that one season. And I think he had one bad year in Oakland. But besides that, he's been really good. He's been an ace. He's been someone you can rely on and you can be excited about. So I am personally excited about Sonny Gray on the Cardinals for fantasy. And I think I'm going to draft him kind of high because I just think the Cardinals are going to get the best and most out of Sonny Gray. I don't know how much to trust his injury history or what he's going to do or if he's going to repeat last season. But depending on where he goes in drafts and what the value is on draft day, I think I might own a lot of Sonny Gray shares. 
So we'll see about that. That's my little call there that I'm going to have a lot of Sonny Gray this season because I just like that fit on the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals did just enough to like project for 80 to 85 wins and just roll the dice so far. Mm -hmm. So we'll see about that. But they also added two other veteran pitchers to their rotation, which makes their overall rotation age pretty high. But they also added Kyle Gibson on a one-year $12 million deal and Lance Lynn to a one-year $11 million deal. So pretty interesting there. We obviously talk about Lance Lynn a lot on this podcast. We spoke about him way too much last season. And I even wrote him off completely and then was a contradiction because I picked him up for one of his two-start weeks. But we're not going to talk about that. But both of these guys coming off of not bad years. Kyle Gibson was all right, but they're kind of on their way out. But they might have prove-yourself contracts here with the Cardinals. And I don't mind Lance Lynn being back with the Cardinals and having a reunion tour. I don't mind Kyle Gibson on the Cardinals. I think all of these guys fit really well on the Cardinals. So we'll see how it pans out in fantasy. But I like all three of these signings by the Cardinals. I like what they spent. I like what they did. I just think they got really good deals on pitchers that can do better than what they've done. And I don't know. I have good vibes about the Cardinals rotation there. But moving on to the next signing, we have Jamer Candelario, who signed with the Reds on a three-year, $45 million deal. Really good signing there. Kind of a sneaky good signing. Jamer Candelario was amazing last season. So I don't really know what to expect for fantasy because he really never had a huge fantasy season. Last year was the first year of relevancy. I mean, he always had potential when he was on the Tigers, but we never really saw anything. And then he got traded to the Cubs and he played really well. I don't know. What do you feel about Jamer Candelario? Do you think he will be worse or better than Suarez next season for fantasy? Ooh, that's tough. I mean, you uh, put your hot take in for Suarez. So I, I did. Let's I see. Did. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? He's playing in Cincinnati for half his games. Like, there's no way he gets worse, I think, um, than, than this past season. I think the weird thing here is playing time. And it's like, it's kind of weird to say that considering he just signed a three-year, $45 million contract, right? But it, the Reds have a lot of young prospects in the in the uh, infield right now, right? They've got Elliot De La Cruz at short. Uh, according to roster resource right now, they have Noel Marte at third base. Okay. And uh, and then Jamers at first. So basically, he's kind of like the Joey Votto replacement. Oh. But then if you think about that, where does that leave Christian Encarnacion Strand? Where is he playing? Yeah, you and know, Spencer he... Steer as well. I know he played the outfield as well, but he's someone who's an infielder first or third base. So Right. And I mean, I, I could probably see Noel Marte actually probably ends up going back to the minors. Um, Fair. He's their top prospect right now, but... Uh, you know, if, if they don't need him, they, they, he he can be seasoned down there. He's still only 22. He's technically the youngest out of, you know, those other guys besides Ellie. And Ellie's not going down anymore. We all know that's not happening. Right. Um. So, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a weird playing time thing. I think the Reds end up figuring out where they're just going to have him play first for the most part. And then maybe shift around the offense, when it, uh, shift around the, the defense when it makes sense. Uh, hit 22 homers last season. According to StatCast, he would have hit 30 in Cincinnati if he played all his games there. Um I just think, yeah, I just think the it's his offense is probably only going to get better, right? I he he might hit 30 homers, maybe like a 270 average. I don't know, but that might be projecting a little too much. But like I think he's just going to do better. Whether that means he's a top 10 third baseman 
Yeah, probably. But those numbers, you know, if you go 30 homers, 270 average, um, if he's on, like, that Reds team that just has a lot of young guys who are hungry, like, I could see, like, pretty decent RBI numbers as a result of that as well. So, yeah, I guess, you know, put me put me on as a, a big fan of, of Jamer here. I just don't know what the Reds are doing in terms of, like, their young players uh, and getting them more reps. So, I personally think, just off the top of my head, I think it's going to be Matt McLean at second. Uh-huh. Ellie De La Cruz at short. Yep. Jamer Candelario at first. Mm-hmm. Spencer Steer or Noel V. Marte at third. And then Christian Encarnacion and Strand DHing. Oh, interesting. And so that John, can they currently run. currently roster resources has Jonathan India DHing. Oh yeah, man. I totally forgot they had him still. Yeah. I think he's I mean, on the he way a, out. He was a weird trade candidate last last yeah. season. So there's a good chance. Yeah, there's a good chance. They were actively trying to trade him even though they had no reason to. And he was yeah. playing really well last season as well. So, yeah, that's crazy. I forgot about that. Because you're not taking out Matt McClain. You can't take out Jonathan India unless you trade him, of course. That's mm-hmm. such a strange predicament. Yeah, why would they add a first baseman slash third baseman? Because Spencer Sear can play the outfield. That's no problem. Maybe Noel mm-hmm. V moves to the outfield as well. I don't know. That seems like a weird thing to do to a young dude, though, right? Yeah. Like, you want to keep him at his good position. Yeah, that's really weird. Maybe Jamer plays the outfield. I don't know how much history he has there, but... I don't know. That's weird, man. Like, maybe you play Encarnacion Strand at first, India, DH, Jamer in the outfield. I don't know. That's a really weird construction and signing. But I do love that he is in Great American Small Park. That's a big boon for his Mm -hmm. fantasy value, obviously. I mean, whenever anyone goes to the Reds that has good potential as a hitter, they get better. It's just the numbers get better. So, I'm excited in that regard. I also think he might be a top 10 third baseman, and I might have a lot of shares of him if he's going later in drafts and people are just overlooking him. I think mm-hmm. this is a sneaky good signing, but yeah, where is he going to play and how often? Because I think if you do sign for three years, $45 million, you're going to play pretty frequently. Right. He's he's going to get 600 at-bats, and like I, I, I'm not really too worried about him losing playing time for the most part. But it is kind of a weird situation to be in where he's just going to get rotated around the... Well, I think he's he's probably going to stick at first base. It's just how does this affect everyone else on the Reds now? Yeah, no, I agree. It's something to monitor going into spring training, seeing where guys are playing, seeing how the lineups look. Just something to take note of and something that I personally will be monitoring for fantasy. Next, we have Kenta Maeda, who signed with the Tigers on a two-year, $24 million deal. You obviously, once again, got to watch Kenta Maeda up close and personal Mm -hmm. on the Twins. Another Twins pitcher on the way out. What do you think about this signing by the Tigers? I mean, we loved Maeda at most points in this season because he was pitching really well and we had a lot of hope for him. And then he kind of went on a weird four-inning dud kind of performance and they kind of limited his innings. But what do you think about Maeda to the Tigers? Good for fantasy? Yes? No? Uh, I mean, I don't know if he really becomes super fantasy relevant again. Um, I mean, he's going to pitch as much as the Tigers let him, right? Like, he is probably their best pitcher right now. I, I really can't think of anyone else on the roster who's, like, a better guy than uh, than um, than, Ma- than Maeda. Um, and well, I guess they have Tariq Skubal, who did, who did get hot last yeah, season. Yeah, I would say Skubal's probably Skubal's their probably best. probably still number one. Then yeah. Maeda, and then they have, like, Matt Manning, Sawyer Gibson-Long, it gets it gets rough. It gets dicey, yeah. Casey Mize, yeah. if he's still alive. I don't know if he's around, but... Yeah, apparently he still is. Okay, um, well... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, my thing with Kenta is that I just don't think he's built to pitch six innings for 
an entire season. Yeah. Like there's going to be injury stuff. Um, he might get limited to only going four to five innings every start. And that hurts his potential in both win and quality start leagues. Um, also, he's on the Tigers, right? Like, so uh, there's the thing, there's the problem there where if you're not in a wins league, it doesn't matter as much, right? But if you're just standard five by five, like wins are a category. And this was a Tigers team that um, I think got 70-ish wins last season, which is like, it w- actually was like an overperforming for them. Yeah. Right? That was actually really good. Um, but the team is still the same. Like the only addition they've made so far, far is Mark Canna, which um, is not like, a, it's not a move that pushes them over the top for sure. Right. You know, could they get to 80-ish wins this season? It, I mean, it's possible if you're counting on Torkelson and Riley Green to to get better. And, um, you know, you have guys like Harry Carpenter who's still doing well and maybe Javi Baez, like, rediscovers the fact that he's a baseball player. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's, there's possibility that this is a better team this upcoming season, but I'm not going to hold my breath, really. Um, I, I still think it's it's a team that is going to be in that, that 70 to 80 win um, area, and Maid is just not going to guy is not going to be a guy who consistently goes more than five innings. So there's the risk of like maybe he doesn't get the wins, maybe he doesn't get the quality starts, and uh, yeah, it's kind of rough for me to think about you know picking picking him up as like anything more than like an occasional streamer. It's really tough, man, because Maeda's stuff is really good. When that splitter is yes. on, he is like untouchable. He's so good, but. Like you said, he's just not a guy that can consistently go six innings. In quality start leagues, he's a nightmare. In wins leagues, now he's on the Tigers. There's just not a lot to love about Maeda, even if his stuff is great. So if he can pitch six innings regularly, then he can be someone that should be rostered on fantasy teams. Even in 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues, he should be rostered. But I don't think that his value gets any better on the Tigers. I liked him on the Twins. I liked that they were pushing him a little bit. He was going six a little bit more frequently. But this situation, I don't know. The Tigers are definitely trying to make a push with their young talent and maybe sneak into the playoffs like the Diamondbacks did and make a run at it. But I don't know. I could see Maeda being fantasy relevant, and I can also see him being not rosterable. So Mm -hmm. he's going to be a big coin flip going into next season. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a guy where it's like, it's probably not a bad idea to keep an eye on him. Yeah. Because when he goes on his hot streaks, like, he's really good, right? Those K per nine numbers are electric. He had a 1.17 whip last season. Yep. Like, he's really, he's he, yeah, his stuff is great. The The problem is sometimes the blowups happen, and sometimes he just doesn't go enough innings to get you a quality starter or a win, but... You know, maybe he limits ERA pretty well. Maybe he limits whip pretty well. Like, his, his, he's like a really good ratios guy, essentially. He's not a good um, counting stats guy is probably where, where, I, where, my, where my analysis with my ideas. Yeah, I agree with that. But before we get into the next signing, which is a very interesting one, you're not going to want to miss out on who this signing is and what he did somewhere else. Because when I heard this name, I was quite shocked, and we're going to talk about the final signings and trades, as well as maybe some predictions for where the big guys sign right after this break. Okay, we are back, and the crazy signing that I was mentioning before is Eric Fetty, who signed with the White Sox on a two-year, $15 million deal. Now, if you're like me, 
you had no idea that Eric Fetty was still pitching. And I remember Eric Fetty as the guy on the Nationals that would pitch against the Mets when they were getting blown out and give up a billion runs. That's literally what I know Eric Fetty as, a starter that filled in for the Nationals that got destroyed by us. Well, he's 30 years old, and last year he was in the KBO with the NC Dinos, and he put up a record of 20-6 and with a 2.00 ERA and was named the MVP of the league. I don't know what happened there, but Eric Fetty seemed to have reinvent himself in the Korean baseball organization. So not sure what to think about this signing. Obviously, it's a flyer. He had an amazing season that you can't deny last year in the KBO. And I'm kind of disappointed because the Mets were actually in the running for Eric Fetty and the White Sox beat them out, which is just such a weird thing. Like when I saw the notification on my phone that said Mets are in Eric Fetty bidding war, I scratched my head like 97 times because I didn't know why that was a bidding war in the first place because I just remembered him as a six ERA pitcher, but I get it now. I understand why there was some hype because you can't deny how good that last season was. John, any opinions on Eric Fetty? I mean, I'm not saying every pitcher goes to the KBO from you know, Major League Baseball and dominates. But the general consensus, right, is the KBO is like kind of like high double A. Right. So is it shocking that Fetty like dominated the KBO? Absolutely not. Um, I, let's be honest, like I this this White Sox team is like slowly crumbling, you know, like they're trying to figure out how to trade Dylan Cease. Um, you know, they already got rid of, you know, Lance Lynn and, and Lucas Giolito last year. Like, there's, like, a hilarious scenario here where the White Sox somehow have Eric Fede as, like, the ace of the staff, you know? Like, in, in two months when they trade Dylan Cease. Um, it's such a bad team, and I just don't care about this at all. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much agree with you. It's hard to really care about this just because the White Sox are so bad. They might get rid of their best pitcher. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't really matter for the White Sox, but it could be something that results in fantasy where it makes a difference. Like Miles Michaelis went to the KBO, reinvented himself, came back and was a feasible starter for fantasy. So maybe this does have an effect. Yeah. Like there's a world where, uh, he pitches in the AL Central. He gets to face the Broyles a lot. He gets to face the Tigers a lot. He gets to face Cleveland a lot. And let's face it, he gets to face the Twins a lot. And all those teams are like, you know, 500 or worse teams, basically. So there's chances for wins there. There's chances to, you know, do really well against like maybe just a, a Broyles squad that's just on a really bad losing streak or a Tiger squad where Javier Baez is still swinging at anything, you know, like there's still a possibility that he does well in these situations because he's just in the AL central. But yeah, I, I just don't see him more than just the, just a streamer. Yeah. I also agree with that. Maybe a flyer in the late rounds, you take a chance on the guy and maybe it pays off, but I don't think there's too much hype about this. Like Eric Fetty shouldn't be shooting up your draft boards because of this signing. So Keep your opinions reserved for Fetty until we see him maybe in spring training. Maybe he looks different. Maybe he's got a better pitch. Maybe he's got a good pitch mix. Maybe he's got some more life on the fastball. Who knows? I mean, he's 30 years old, so he's not like dead in the water. And we'll (laughs) see what he can do. So keep Eric Fetty's name in your mind, but don't put too much stock into it. 
Next, we have Craig Kimbrell, who signed with the Orioles on a one-year $13 million deal. I think it's a good signing. I mean, $13 million is a lot, considering what Kyle Gibson got 12, Lanceling got 11. Craig Kimbrell's just a closer, an old one at that, and he had a decent year last year. I mean, he did really well on the Phillies. He had some up-and-down moments, but Kimbrell's just a solidified, I would say, Hall of Famer at this point. I mean, he's really done a lot as a reliever to earn that status. I don't know if he is. I haven't really dove deep into the Craig Kimbrell Hall of Fame ballot, but I think he's built a good resume for himself, and the Orioles need some veteran presence on that team. And who knows what's going to happen with Felix Bautista, Yanir Cano. They've got a really good bullpen. And if any of those guys get injured or can't close, Craig Kimbrell can easily step into that position and succeed. So I think that's just a good signing. It's definitely something to keep track of for the bullpen if you need saves. I don't know if Kimbrell is the guy because they have Felix Bautista. He is definitely going to be the guy if he's healthy and can pitch. So just keep note of that. Craig Kimbrell might be the guy if... Bautista's not ready to go or good, so we'll see how that goes, but Craig Kimbrell, keep that in mind for the save situations. Luis Severino signed to the Mets on a one-year $13 million deal. I don't really have much to say about this. This is a one-year prove-yourself contract. We all know that Severino has Cy Young upside, but I just don't see him having any sort of good amount of innings pitched. I don't see him not getting injured. I mean, we're the Mets, for Christ's sake. He's going to get injured. He's going to pitch three innings probably more often than not. I don't know. If he's good, great. If he's not, I kind of expected it. So don't want to get my hopes up. I think the signing is absolutely fine. I'm not head over heels. I'm not going, hey, Severino is going to be the best pitcher in baseball. Make sure you get fantasy shares of him. But it just fills out the rotation for the Mets. So We'll take him over Carlos Carrasco any day at this point. Next, we have a trade that makes me kind of mad as a Mets fan. Jared Kelenic, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White were traded from the Mariners to the Braves for the aforementioned Jackson Coar in the Kyle Wright deal and Cole Phillips, who's a rookie. This is such a weird trade, in my opinion. Like, I guess this is a salary dump for the Mariners, but... The Braves essentially got Jared Kelenic for free, and we gave him up, if you all remember, in the Edwin Diaz trade and the Robinson Cano trade, and he was the main piece. He was a top prospect in our system. He still has really big upside. I mean, if you remember just last season, he had an incredible scorching hot first month in the majors. So, I don't know. I've heard Kelenic has a lot of attitude issues, and he's just not a good clubhouse guy and whatnot, but... He's so young, he's so talented, he's got so much potential, and now he's just on the Braves for free? Like, I don't know, man. It kind of infuriates me. What do you think about this deal, John? Because I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because it was basically, it's like Marco Gonzalez and Evan White were costing Seattle money for basically doing nothing. I think it was like somewhere on the order of like 12 to $15 million for the two of them combined. And so it's like... Kelenic was the piece, basically, to get the Braves to accept money. And this is, like, all supposedly so that the Mariners can sign someone big. And uh, the the rumor I've heard is that it's it's Blake Snell. I don't I don't know if I completely believe that, but, you know, there's always the, always the Shohei Otani to the Mariners sort of, sort of conversation. I don't think he's going to Seattle, but right. um, 
you know, maybe they're trying to move around money so that they can afford that. Like it, it, it's a weird trade, and yeah, like you said, Kelnick was like kind of on a really good hot streak until uh, he uh, he kicked a <laughs> uh, a water cooler yep. uh, in a game against the Twins, which was really funny. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, I mean he he's kind of one of those guys where it's like a you know post hype sleeper sort of type of prospect. Batted two fifty three last year, which is like pretty solid. Um, it, you know, not like great counting stats by any means, but he's got a little bit power speed combo in him. Maybe it's a 15 15 season that he can pull off. Uh, you know, Atlanta really knows how to develop hitters for the most part. So it, I think this is a good, good move for Kelnick. I don't think it's a good move for Seattle, but I guess it depends what they can do with the, the extra money that they free up from trading Gonzalez and Evan White. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens here. But yeah, it, it is kind of a weird trade. And Kelnick is. He's going to be, I don't know if it's a worse position in Atlanta. He's That team is just so stacked that I don't think it matters where he bats in the order. He's just going to get a little bit of uh, a little bit more boost in those counting stats because of who he's playing with. Yeah, I don't know where he'll bat. He'll definitely play. I think he'll get everyday playing time. Maybe he bats ninth and Michael Harris bats leadoff or at second I don't know like it's so weird because they have Acuna obviously and then they have Ozzy Albies and they have Michael Harris they have like three guys that could lead off and you can't really fit them all up top so maybe Harris bats like sixth or Albies bats sixth and it goes Acuna Harris Riley Olsen that's pretty good at the top four so I don't know I don't know where he goes but I'm just mad they got him for free and then also less than 48 hours after Atlanta got Marco Gonzalez. They traded him to Pittsburgh. Yep. So Marco Gonzalez is on the Pirates now. So just keep that in mind as well, which is just another weird thing. There's people are getting moved in the Braves organization. They go, hey, we got Kowar, let's trade him. We got Gonzalez, let's trade him. They just are yeah. flipping guys left and right. So the Braves the, are active. The best thing about the whole Marco Gonzalez thing is that he went from like a guy who like can't start from the Mariners to a guy who was like Oh, actually, Atlantic like kind of needs pitchers because they just traded a bunch of young dudes to. Oh, he's the number two guy in Pittsburgh now because <laughs> they just have no pitching. Yeah, that's a crazy thing to say. It's like, oh, Marco Gonzalez is probably like the SP five or spot starter on the Mariners. To oh, he's probably going to be like the SP four on the Braves because they need pitching. To oh, yeah. he's the best pitcher on the Pirates. Like, <laughs> it's pretty funny the life of Marco Gonzalez in the last forty eight hours of just not knowing what his place is. So. Pretty funny stuff there, but that trade was baffling to me, so we'll see what happens. And also, the Braves got Evan White, who's a really good young first-base prospect. So, I don't know, lots of really good moves for the Braves. They just get lucky, man, you know? Why do they just get lucky? Why can't the Mets get lucky? Instead, talking about the Mets, they signed Jorge Lopez, a twin, ex-twin, I should say, Kyle Crick, Austin Adams, Michael Tonkin, all bullpen pieces, which the Mets needed to bolster their bullpen, but this doesn't change anything. It's just spot guys for the Mets. Edwin Diaz is still the closer. There's no need to worry about that. But we took a chance on all these relievers, and hopefully they pay off because we needed bullpen help. And I like that we signed a lot of decent options, and hopefully they pan out, like I said. And then lastly, this isn't a move that changed anything, but Jason Hayward re-signed with the Dodgers on a one-year, $9 million deal. So, that wraps up all of the signings and trades so far. And very soon, we can expect some of the bigger names. Otani, Bellinger, Imanaga, Yamamoto, Montgomery, Snell. We can expect those guys to be moved very, very soon. But, 
Before we go, John, let's play a little game where basically we're not going to elaborate at all. We are just going to say what our gut reaction to where you think the top 10 remaining free agents will sign. Okay? So, we'll start with Shohei Otani. What team do you think he signs with? Uh, LA Dodgers. I also agree, LA Dodgers. Yoshinobu Yamamoto, where do you think he signs with? Ah, man, this one's dumb. Uh, (laughs) I'm just going to say the Yankees. Oh, okay. I'm going to say the Mets. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I I think he takes the money. Yeah, I think he takes the money. I don't know. It's scary because right now it's a very Yankee-heavy offseason. They just got Soto. They got Verdugo. They're getting some big names. Maybe the excitement of that, the build of that, Yamamoto's like, hey, let me get in there. Let me try to win a championship with these guys. I could be a Yankees legend. The pinstripes are legendary. Maybe he Mm -hmm. goes that route, but I really think that the Mets are going to get him. I think we want him really badly. We know we're not going to get Otani. We know we're not going to get Blake Snell. We know we're not going to get Bellinger. We're like, we're out on all of these guys. So I think we're all in on Yamamoto and we're just going to give him a ridiculous amount of money. So Yoshinobu Yamamoto, I think, is going to be a Met. What about Shota Imanaga? I I mean, uh, I'm just going to say the Cubs. Okay, that's really good. I was between that team and the team I'm going to choose, the Red Sox. Uh, yes. So I think he might end up on that team. Because I think Yamamoto can also be a Red Sox, but I really want him to be a Met. Right. So I'm just yeah. going to bias that one. <laughs> Next, Jung-Hoo Lee. Yeah, this one's a fun one. Um, Let's go weird and say the Giants. Oh, okay. I like that. I'm between two, Mets and Cubs, and I think he's going to go to the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. I just think that the loss of Bellinger and, well, they didn't technically lose him yet. They could still re-sign him, but I think no Bellinger. I think Jung-Hoo Lee maybe goes to the Cubs. Because also, Mm -hmm. say a Suzuki, they can have a connection there. I don't know. It's something that could pan out. I, I think that might have some sort of favor. And that's why I think Imanaga is a good shout too for the Cubs. But moving on to the non-overseas players, Blake Snell. You know what? I'm just going to say Mariners because it's weird enough that I believe it. Yeah, that's a good fit. I don't know. I think the Mariners are going to pull the trigger on someone. I don't know if it's Snell. Uh I'm going to go Cubs for Snell. Okay. I think the Cubs are going to be active. I didn't think I was going to pick Cubs for a lot of this, and I, I'm kind <laughs> I of copping out on the they're Cubs. Getting, they're getting everyone. <laughs> the Cubs are going to be great guys, apparently, according to me. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan Montgomery. Uh, I think he stays with Texas. Ooh, good shout. Good shout. I really want him to be a Met. Mm. So I, I'm going to say the Mets, <laughs> just out of my own personal bias. But I think the Rangers yeah. shout is really good. Lucas Giolito. Oh, God. Um, As much as I hate this, I'm going to say the Twins. I was going to say the Twins, too. I was actually going to say the Twins. That's crazy. Yeah, I think that the Twins sign him and kind of help out their rotation because it's kind of just battered right now. Yeah. That's sad for you, but (laughs) I love Giolito, man. I've got my fingers crossed for him. He plays MLB The Show. He seems like a great dude. I have my fingers crossed. so awful last year. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. Seth Lugo. Yeah, this one's interesting. Um, I could see the... Oh, man. You know what? I'm going to say the Mets. I would love a Mets reunion with Seth Lugo. <laughs> Genuinely, I would love that. Yeah. And I want to say that, but I've said like the same teams over and over and over again. I think the Mariners. 
Okay, yeah. I think he's a good fit for that back end of the rotation. Cody Bellinger. Ooh, I was waiting for this one. Uh, I'm going to say Giants. Yeah, you know what? He feels like a giant, doesn't he? They've been waiting to spend money for so long, and they're yep. going to whiff on everyone. They're like, screw it. We're giving Bellinger $200 million. Yeah, you know what? I think you might have even just swayed me there. I really didn't have a path that I was going to put Bellinger on. I really thought he was going to go to the Yankees till this Juan Soto deal happened. Sure, yeah. So uh-huh. that kind of threw me for a loop, but I'm going to go with you. I'm going to just piggyback on your opinion there. I could see him being a giant. He feels like a giant to me, you know? Yeah, imagine him doing that and also just kind of like a screw you to the Dodgers. And you know, it's like, I'll just, yeah. oh, I'm going to sign this huge contract with like your bitter rival. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with that. We'll yeah. do a rapid fire here. J.D. Martinez. Orioles. Mets. Jorge Soler. Cardinals. Red Sox. Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, ooh, let's send him to Tampa Bay. I'm going to send him also to Florida, <laughs> but I'm going to send him to the Marlins. Okay, yeah. Matt Chapman. I could see him sticking with Toronto. I also can see that. I know the Yankees are frothing at the mouth. They need Matt Chapman. They would love Matt Chapman there. Yeah, that would yeah. be a ridiculous match made in heaven. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say Giants. Okay. Goes back to the Bay. Yeah, it goes back to the Bay. And they have, like, J.D. Davis there that they don't trust. And, I don't know, I think mm-hmm. they could use a third baseman. So, yeah. Matt Chapman, yeah. Cody Bellinger, new faces of the Giants. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Selfishly, I really want the Twins to get him. Um, but... He feels like a Met. Ooh, he kind of does feel like a Met. That's scary. I like Lourdes, though. I'm going to say Astros. I think he mm. goes back to a team where his brother once played and yeah. maybe see some success there. I, I like Lourdes for the Astros. Whit Merrifield, just a random one. Yeah. Uh, Tampa, no, not Tampa Bay. He's never going to – he would never work there. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> let's go with Boston. I'm going to say the White Sox. Oh. He feels like a really lame White Sox player, right? Like, just stick him at second or outfield. Let him rot. Let him run. Who cares, you know? (laughs) We got Eric Fetty. We don't care. Right. And when he's not healthy, that's when Luis Roberts playing. And when Roberts hurt, that's when Witt's playing. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Last two. Reese Hoskins. This is an interesting one. Yeah. Also, selfishly, I would like him to be on the Twins. Yeah. But um, let's say Cubs. Ooh, okay. I'm going to say Giants. I just think that, okay. like, they start building this young core. Like, Cody Bellinger and Reese Hoskins feel like Giants players to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, Matt Chapman, I just had no idea where to put him, so I'm just yeah. throwing him on Who the, needs the third Giants. Baseman? Yeah, just throw him on the Giants. Yeah, just yeah. throw him on the Giants. Yeah, so I yeah. really think Bellinger and Hoskins, though, like, those two guys I really had pinned for the Giants. Chapman I just threw in uh-huh. there, but I think those two guys are going to be Giants. Yeah. And lastly, someone who was a fantasy stalwart towards the end of the season, Mitch yeah. Garver. Where does he go? I, uh, this will be fun. Uh, I think he goes to the Yankees. Wow. Just imagine. I mean, that's <laughs> going to be really sad for all the Austin Wells supporters in New York for the Yankees. I mean, they need a backup. They just traded Higashioka. So, like, I mean, yeah, they don't need another DH player there, but they could use another catcher. Yeah, they still have Trevino, which is, like, he's a not good true. defensive yeah. player, but he's not, like, a bat-forward guy. He's, like, what, three home runs? So, yeah. I think Garver would be a great pairing. I mean, Gary Sanchez is still out there. Maybe a Yankees reunion with, yeah. with him, but yeah. Mitch Garver to the Yankees would be really fun. That's a fun one, man. That's a really fun one. I'm going to say on the Red Sox. Ah. 
I don't know who their catcher is at the moment. Is it Connor Wong? I believe still. <laughs> yeah, get him out of there. Get Mitch Garver immediately, Boston. I'm calling it in. You need him. <laughs> get him. He will play so well with the Green Monster out there. So that wraps up all of the predictions for the remaining free agents that are available. We've got some big names left, and some of those bricks will fall into place soon, and we will definitely cover it on another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball Offseason Edition very soon. But that's it for now. Before we go, make sure you follow us on Twitter or X at ThisWeekPL, and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter or X at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E, and you can follow myself on Twitter or X at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the PitcherList Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you listen to your podcast on, and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We will be back very soon with another episode of the off-season edition of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. 